good morning. If you have your Bibles, open up with me to uh, the tiny letter to Philemon. It'll be towards the end of uh, your New Testament, just before Hebrews. Uh, and as you're as you're turning there, uh, have you ever paused to think about how many movies and stories are about revenge? Uh, somebody has uh, offended somebody else or sinned against them, and then uh, that other person is out for blood. They are out for uh, revenge. Uh, you think about how many movies are about that uh, that topic of vengeance, uh, and when you when you realize how many there are, and that that is a main theme uh, in many of our stories, it's it's no wonder that unforgiveness tears uh, apart our world as as individuals, as groups, as entire nations. Uh, there are people who are desperate for the ability to forgive, to pursue peace, to pursue reconciliation. Think about the, the news is filled uh, in recent weeks with uh, the need for peace talks between uh, those in the Middle East, uh, those or the United States and, and uh, North Korea. Uh, it seems like all of those situations are deteriorating and always in need of uh, addressing uh, peace talks. And then there's additional need for peace in each of our homes uh, that we all need uh, to the, I guess, the skills to pursue peace and the desire to forgive others, the, the willingness to, uh, to release people of sins that they have committed against us. Uh, and it is hard to forgive. Uh, it is difficult to, uh, to look at somebody and not just rehearse what they have done against us in the past. Uh, but we know that we should forgive. We know that we should uh, push, uh, push those bitter thoughts to uh, to the periphery. Uh, we know that we should entrust ourselves to them to forgive them and not not rehearse the sins of others and relive all of that pain. Uh, but but sometimes, if we are if we are genuinely honest with ourselves, sometimes we like to be unforgiving. Sometimes we like to hold on to uh, those offenses that others have committed against us because it, it gives us power. Uh, it gives us some uh, a bargaining chip against that person. Uh, a biblical counselor named Paul Tripp uh, lists five dark benefits of forgiveness. I thought this was very intriguing. Uh, and because uh, when someone sins against us, they in essence create a, a, a debt that they now owe us. They've sinned against us. He says he makes these five observations. He says that debt is power. He says there is power in having something to hold over another's head. There is power in in using a person's weakness and failure against him or her. In moments when we want our own way, we pull out some wrong against us as our relational trump card. Right in the middle of a conflict, we like to bring up past sins and use that as power. He also says that debt is identity. That holding on to another's sins, uh, sin, weakness, and failure makes us feel superior to them. And when we rehearse others' sins against us, we naturally feel better about ourselves. He says it allows us to believe that we are more righteous and mature than they are. We fall into the pattern of getting our sense of self, not by the comfort and call of the gospel, but by comparing ourselves to another. Because this pattern plays itself uh, into the self-righteous uh, righteousness that is the struggle of every sinner. Thirdly, he says that debt is entitlement because uh, of all the other person's wrongs against us, he or she owes us. Uh, and and they, we feel that they are indebted to us, and we feel entitled uh, to carry around those wrongs 
Fourth, he says that debt is weaponry. Uh, the sins and failures that a, another has done against us become like a loaded gun that we carry around. And it's very tempting to pull them out and use them when we are angry. When someone's hurt us, what do we like to do? We like to uh, remind them of that again in the future. And then fifthly, he says that debt puts us in God's position. He says it is the one place that we must never be. But it is also a position that all of us have put ourselves in. We are not the judge of others. We are not the one who should dispense consequences for others' sins. It is not our job to make sure they feel the appropriate amount of guilt for what they've done, but it is very tempting to ascend to God's throne and to make ourselves judge. So what do we do? We have this this problem, right? We, uh, we are constantly in conflict with others, whether we acknowledge it or not. There's conflicts happen every day. So our ability to live in peace with others rests upon our ability to reconcile, to forgive, to make peace. Uh, and compounded with this, this fact that we have conflicts regularly, we have this, these sinful desires that like to hold on to those sins, to bear a grudge, to be bitter towards others. We have this desire to hold on to them and then use that as leverage against them later. But we know, on the other hand, that we are called to forgive. It's, it's in fact a command to forgive in Scripture. We looked at that uh, last week at the end of the service of in Colossians. That we are to forgive just as the Lord has forgiven us. The same command is, is given in Ephesians. Uh, so we have this command to forgive. So then we have to say, well, Lord, how do I do this? There's constant conflict in my life. There's uh, this desire to, to hold on to those sins that have been committed against me and to use them as leverage later because it gives us power. That's my, my sinful desire is that. But Lord, how do I how do I truly forgive others? How do I get to that point where I have that desire and that ability? Well, Paul is going to, to answer those questions in a subtle way in, in our passage this morning. As we look at Philemon, last week we looked at verses 1 through 3, the, just the, the greeting of the letter, where Paul introduces himself as the author. He introduces us to uh, who he's writing to. Uh, and then there's just a brief greeting of grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And what we'll be looking at this morning is verses 4 through 7. Why don't you read them with me uh, right now? Paul writes, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. As we look at this paragraph, we'll see that, that it's really just a, a, a paragraph where Paul is, is thanking God for uh, who Philemon is and, and the conduct of Philemon. Uh, he's going to praise and thank God for Philemon's love and faith. Uh, and Paul is is beginning to uh, prepare for his appeal, the appeal to Philemon to forgive and receive back his runaway slave, Onesimus. That's going to begin in verse 8. So this is kind of the bridge from the, this greeting uh, in verses 1 through 3. And he hasn't started the appeal yet, but he's beginning to, to kind of prime the pump uh, of his discussion with Philemon. 
Uh, Philemon is already known as a man who is full of faith in Christ and is demonstrated by his love for his fellow believers. Uh, and it's on the basis of Philemon's love and faith that Paul is going to make his appeal for Onesimus. And as we look at these verses this morning, we'll see the priority of love and faith. We're, if we're going to be people who forgive, love for others and faith in Christ are the twin pillars that are going to support and enable us to forgive those who have sinned against us. If we don't have faith in Christ, we won't be able to forgive others. If we don't have love for others, we won't be able to release them of the sins that they have committed against us. So what is it about these two attitudes of love and faith that makes them the foundation of reconciliation? If we don't have these, we won't be able to pursue peace. What is it about them that makes them the foundation? Well, we're going to be able to to make three observations about love and faith that will help us to promote uh, reconciliation and to pursue peace in our marriages, uh, in our families, in our church, because conflict will happen in the church. Gasp. Uh, it's going to take place. And then in our community, how can we be peacemakers and, and those who can be ambassadors for Christ? We have a message of reconciliation. Shouldn't we be able to reconcile others? Absolutely. So these these truths are going to be important for us. We can make these three observations. Uh, and the first one is seen in verses 4 and 5, and it is that the praiseworthy character of love and faith, that when we see love and faith on display, it is worthy of our commendation. It is worthy of our praise. Let's look at verses 4 and 5 together. He says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayer. So what Paul is saying is that, hey, whenever he is, whenever he is praying and he remembers Philemon, he can't help but do what? But thank God. He says, look, man, whenever I remember you uh, as I'm praying, I can't help but thank God uh, for the content of his prayers in verse 5. Because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. He, he cannot help but whenever he thinks about Philemon to praise God and thank God for him. Uh, and how amazing that is to, to come to that conclusion of to have that good of a reputation. Right? For, for Paul to say, wow, Philemon is such a man of faith and love that whenever I think of him, I have to thank the Lord. That's, that's pretty amazing. And Paul uh, makes some, some interesting emphases here in verse 5. As you look at your, your outline, there's, uh, there's a, a couple of different chiasms, uh, in this letter. And what I mean by that is, uh, we talked about it last week actually for, or two weeks ago, for Mother's Day. Uh, chiasm is an interesting way of uh, making an emphasis that where you, you talk about something and you get to a point uh, in the middle and then you reverse course and come back out. It's like kind of a, a big U-turn. And what the emphasis is what's placed on the middle and uh, the, w- the way that it gets its name is a chiasm is because what does it look like on your paper there? It looks like a big X. And chi is the letter, uh, the Greek uh, letter for uh, X uh, in the Greek language. So uh, this chiasm works and the emphasis is on the, the middle. Uh, but there's also an emphasis on the outside, and we'll, we'll talk through that. But uh, what he is going to emphasize here uh, is he's, he's going to mention these two attitudes, this lo- your love uh, and the faith. Uh, and what usually, what's the third uh, attribute that usually goes with love and faith? Yeah, hope. You know, those are a, a triad that's often mentioned by Paul in the New Testament, faith, hope, and love. Uh, but usually what order is it in? It, faith is first, and then uh, hope and then love. But here, what does Paul do? What does he list first? 
love. So he kind of emphasizes love uh, by mentioning it first here. And what's this whole letter based about? Reconciliation. What is, what is Philemon going to need to exercise most in forgiving Onesimus? Love. So there's an emphasis upon love there. And then he goes to mention his faith. Uh, and he's going to mention, hey, you have faith in Christ. And uh, again, in a chiasm, what's in the middle is most important. See, are you going to love others if you don't truly believe and have faith in Christ? Faith in Christ entrusts ourselves to, to Christ. It's, it's the acknowledgement that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. It's the acknowledgement that I need God to forgive me of my sins. And when I know and understand that, what am I going to be more willing to do? To forgive others, to extend forgiveness to others. But if I don't have that, there's no basis for me to forgive others. There's, there's no intrinsic motivation for me to be kind, loving, and forgiving of others if I have not first and foremost understood my own sin and rebellion against a holy God. So uh, the way that he connects all this, he says hey, uh, that your, your love is for all of the saints. Those are the exterior portions of the chiasm. And your faith towards Jesus Christ, that is what Paul commends Philemon for here uh, in this verse. And then that little phrase uh, where he says uh, that you have toward, uh, that uh, in, the, in the Greek it's, it's better translated that you are continuously having that you constantly have, that that Philemon, it's not just a one-time thing. Hey, you demonstrated love that one time towards that one person in the church. Uh, No, you are continuously demonstrating love uh, and that you are continuously uh, exhibiting faithfulness in Christ. These These are ongoing attributes in Philemon's life. And Paul is commending Philemon's character indirectly here. And by doing this, he's able to encourage Philemon to say, hey, I thank God for you whenever I think of you for these things. Uh, he, he's praising him indirectly. And at the same time, he's, I guess you could say, virtue signaling. He's saying, hey, these things are praiseworthy in the life of a, of a Christian. Uh, and that, that idea of virtue signaling has become popular in our culture, right? Uh, that praising a, a virtue or an action uh, in one person naturally uh, you know, praises it in anybody and condemning a virtue or an action in somebody naturally implies condemnation of that same virtue and action in anybody else. Uh, Hollywood celebrities uh, have transformed their, their annual awards shows, uh, like the Emmys, like the Academy Awards. They've, they've transformed that into a, a big uh, opportunity to do some virtue signaling. Uh, to promote their, their agenda and, and clap loudly and longly and, uh, and, uh, but loudly proclaim what they are against and what they are for. And by doing that, they get the, the appreciation of people within their same group, uh, and they uh, clearly demark themselves out of uh, not being a part of another group. Now, by signaling these, these right virtues, uh, these celebrities kind of earn brownie points with one another. Uh, and uh, believe it or not, these, these celebrities have, have tapped into something that's true. Uh, and, and the truth is... That that what is what what is celebrated will be mimicked, uh, and what is uh, commended will eventually be pursued by a, by a culture by a group, uh, and they've tapped into this. and And Paul is doing something similar. Virtue signaling has the connotation of all you're doing is talking about it, so it's kind of a negative term. But but what Paul is doing here, uh, it's his commendation of Philemon is based upon fact. It's not just fluff. Uh, he's, he has the evidence to, to back it up. It's not just flattery. 
Uh, but Paul is speaking about love and faith that he has heard from eyewitnesses, uh, and Paul himself knows Philemon. Uh, so he is speaking uh, in truth, uh, and it's not flattery. Uh, and and we are called to to encourage and commend that which is praiseworthy. Everything about that Philippians four eight, where Paul says, "Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable." Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Well, part of that involves that when we see those things that are the good, the beautiful, and the true, those things that are praiseworthy, that we need to identify them as such, to to point them out uh, and to celebrate them. John MacArthur says that the apostle knew that legitimate praise feeds virtue and provides an antidote for sin. That when we clearly mark out, hey, this is what is to be celebrated, this is uh, praiseworthy virtue, uh, and then when we clearly mark out, hey, that is, that is sinful, that is dishonorable in the eyes of the Lord, that those are, that it is good for us to identify those things, to, to point them out, uh, and then to celebrate what is good. Again, we will mimic what we celebrate. So as we look at this, of Paul's commendation of Philemon, we have to, we have to look and see, hey, number one, do we hold faith and love in such high esteem in others that when we see them, we can't help but praise God? That we get so excited when we see others walking in faith, walking in love, that we just immediately direct our praise and thanksgiving to God. That's what Paul did. And he did it often. He says, I pray always for you. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. And on a day-to-day basis, how often do you think you praise others or compliment others or commend others? It probably happens regularly. Some of you may uh, may not commend others, and that's you know something to be addressed as well. But uh, we we can praise people often, but we also must think about what it is that we are praising them for. In our compliments, in our celebrations, are we encouraging biblical values or worldly values? What are, what are we commending people for? Are we praising others for, for their good looks or for their godly character? Are we praising others for athletic accomplishments or for their affection for Christ? For their high self-esteem or their selfless service to others? For their independent spirit or their dependence upon Christ? for their high intelligence or for their obedience to God. Now, I'm never saying that you can't compliment anybody or commend anybody for some of those things. It's okay to, to commend people uh, if, if those things are true, but we also have to keep in mind what's the balance. How often are we commending and, and what are we commending? Because we, we, again, we send messages and those things that we, that we think are praiseworthy and that we extend praise to others about. So we need to be conscious of what we are praising others for. And this is especially important for parents. This is especially important for parents because uh, thinking through what you compliment your kids in, what you continue to say, hey, good job on this. What are the, what's that child going to want to do next time? That which they got encouraged for. Uh, and we, we need to, to focus on encouraging others uh, on the things that really matter. Not, not the, the temporary, uh, the, those things that are, that are earthly and, and, and really void of, of true meaning. We don't need to, to emphasize and focus upon those things in our compliments and in our celebrations. What should we celebrate? 
those things that are eternal, those things that are spiritual, uh, heavenly. Uh, this is where, uh, again, Colossians 3, 2, if we are to seek and set our minds upon the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Uh, and as we, as we encourage godly character, as we celebrate godly character in and amongst, uh, God's people and within our own children, what are they going to begin to do? We are, we are shepherding their hearts when we encourage and champion the right virtues within them, and we need to be aware of that. Love and faith are praiseworthy virtues. Uh, and the Apostle Paul regularly encouraged others in those spiritual and eternal matters because he understood that what we mimic will be celebrated, or that we will mimic what is celebrated. And that was the first observation that we can make this morning. The second is seen in verse 6, the, the sanctifying power of exercising faith. The sanctifying power of exercising faith. And uh, we're going to look at verse 6. And verse 6 is uh, the beginning point of a, a larger chiasm. So Paul takes the, the concepts of, of love and faith that he introduced in verse 5, and then verse 6 is going to be about love, and verse 7 is going to be about faith. Uh, and again, the emphasis upon uh, those two pillars and those two characteristics. And I was ambushed this week uh, in studying this passage. Uh, I didn't quite realize how difficult to understand verse 6 is. One commentator said that this is undoubtedly the most difficult verse in Philemon to understand. Let's, let's look at it. Paul says, And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Now, there's a whole lot of short phrases, uh, and then there's words that are kind of translated in, in, it could be translated in multiple ways. So there's a whole bunch of questions to ask, right? Uh, of what is this, what does it mean of the, the sharing of your faith? What does that mean? And then maybe come effective for what? Uh, and then there's questions about this knowledge, and then what is every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ? All of these uh, things. So let's, let's take these one phrase at a time and kind of work our way through. Now, he begins by saying, I pray that. Uh, so one thing we can be sure of, this is the contents of, of Paul's prayer. This is, this is the objective that he wants to see take place in Philemon's life. He has been praying for this. Then he says, the sharing of your faith. Uh, and uh, the NASB translation is a little bit more literal. That idea of sharing is actually the word for fellowship. So the, the fellowship of your faith, uh, and that word for, for fellowship conveys the idea of, of sharing together, of participation with someone else, or the idea of belonging. We have fellowship together as a church. We have belonging together as a church. Uh, and so what is Paul saying here? Well, this opening phrase seems to indicate that Paul's prayer is for Philemon to experience full participation in the, the, the local church, in the body of God's people, with others of like faith, he begins this prayer by saying, hey, I want you to experience that in full. That the, that the participation of your faith, the fellowship of your faith, I want you to experience that. And he says that that experience may become effective, and effective could be translated as as being active or or powerful. So Paul wants Philemon's participation in fellowship with the church to be effective towards something. And what that towards is, is complete or full knowledge. That he, he wants him to, to be effective in growing and understanding God. And, and that word for knowledge there, it's also a, a unique word. 
carries the idea of a of a deep transcendent knowledge, a lofty knowledge that's rooted in not just kind of intellectual theoretical ideas, but in experience. Uh, and so Paul is uh, is highlighting this kind of reciprocating relationship, uh, where one thing feeds into another and back and forth that exists between our knowledge and understanding and our fellowship with God's people. That as we are in and around God's people, we will grow naturally in knowledge. And we will grow in knowledge uh, in what way? Well, uh, in uh, the ne- what it says next, of in uh, every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Uh, that he is saying that every good thing that is in us refers to every spiritual blessing that we possess in Christ. Ephesians 1, 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with, here's an exact number, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So how do we realize and come to an understanding of those spiritual blessings that are ours in Christ? Paul's saying here that we experience and grow to a, an experiential knowledge of those truths by being with God's people. But by fellowshipping, by sharing our faith with one another. One pastor says that this, this meaning would then be that all these good things that have been given to us in Christ and which are to be discovered and exercised in the context of Christian fellowship are ultimately given in order to point us to Christ. Uh, so there's this, uh, our growth in knowledge comes through fellowshipping with God's people and they help us to understand all of the blessings that we truly have in Christ. And isn't that the truth? Uh, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll look at that. And, and see, it's one thing to read words on a page, right? You can know something theoretically. Okay, God wants me to do this. But where is it that we actually live those things out? Where do we live out the truths of the words on the pages of Scripture? We live those out in the context of our homes, in the context of our church, in the context of our community. And Paul's saying you need this fellowship in order to truly gain an experiential knowledge of all that you have in Christ. And there's a big difference between having theoretical knowledge and experiential knowledge about something. Take skydiving, for instance. Okay? You can know about it in theory. You can know the statistics of how high the plane goes, about 14,000 feet. You can know the statistics about how long you'll, you'll free fall for once you jump out of the plane, which is anywhere from 30 to 60 seconds. Uh, you can know all of those things. You can know about the equipment that you need. Uh, how many times you want to double and triple and quadruple uh, check your parachute. Uh, you can know all of those things, how much it will cost, where to go. But then there's also just the, the experience of actually going and insanely jumping out of a plane, feeling the wind on your face, uh, you know, traveling up to 120 miles an hour as you free fall back to the earth. Right? You can, you can have a theoretical knowledge, but the experience of it is going to be infinitely greater. Right? Uh, you, uh, you, you can't recreate the wind in your face and the adrenaline in your heart that's just pumping uh, as you fall back to the earth. Experiential knowledge works with intellectual knowledge to sanctify us and make us more like Christ. And our experiences will usually work to expedite that growth process. And this is where we, we pause and, and let's zoom back out to the context of this letter. Okay, Paul is writing 
to encourage Philemon to reconcile, to receive back his slave who stole from him and then ran away. The slave has sinned against him, and now Paul is saying, hey, I want you to have an experiential knowledge of what fellowship is really like. What Paul's prayer was, was that he wanted this opportunity that Philemon now has. Think about that. Paul's praying for it, and then look, here's an opportunity to take your theoretical knowledge about forgiveness, Philemon, and bring it down to where the rubber meets the road to begin to apply that concept of forgiveness, that understanding of reconciliation. This is your opportunity to apply it, to uh, to put your money where your mouth is, so to speak, uh, or to put your faith uh, where, where your mouth is, to, to live out what you have proclaimed to others. And to a certain extent, Philemon already has some experiential knowledge, right? He, he's been in the church. He already is commended for his love for others and his faith in Christ. But this is going to be on a whole new level because, again, forgiveness is is difficult. It doesn't come easily or naturally to us. And as Philemon extends forgiveness to Onesimus, do you know what he learns? He learns about the gospel. See, the gospel is a, a simple message, right? Uh, that all men have sinned against their creator, rebelled against him, wanting to go our own way. And the penalty for our rebellion is eternal punishment. Because we have sinned against an eternal God. We, we rack up a sin debt against God that we can't pay. But God's solution to that was, hey, I'll send my son to pay that debt for you. Colossians says that, that there was a, uh, a certificate of debt that was nailed to the cross of Christ. Uh, and that was our debt. And that it has been paid in full by Jesus' death and his resurrection. So while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He pursued reconciliation. And oftentimes... We think too little and too lightly of that forgiveness. That we don't think about it enough. See, we understand that, hey, it's hard for me to forgive others, right? It's difficult. I don't want to do it. But then we just kind of flippantly say, yeah, God's forgiven me. And we don't understand the weight and the gravity of God's amazing forgiveness toward us. But when then suddenly when we have to extend forgiveness to others, what does that give us an insight into? It gives us an insight into how God has treated us in the gospel. And suddenly we have an experiential knowledge of what God is going through as he extends forgiveness to us. Not only that, but he paid the price for our forgiveness. So it's even greater. We think too little and too lightly about our forgiveness that we have in Christ. But when we have to extend forgiveness to others, we get an experiential knowledge of the gospel. We get to put the gospel on display and apply it to our lives and to our relationships. And that is what Paul is very subtly praying for here because he knows Philemon's going to have an opportunity to do just that, to live out his faith in truth and in action. See, and we grow in knowledge as we obey God's commands in faith. God puts us into circumstances and trials that will force us to act in faith, to trust not in ourselves, but to trust in his promises. And we all just celebrate when that happens, right? Like, Lord, what am I supposed to do here? Well, we have to step out in faith. We have to maybe do what we are uncomfortable doing, but knowing and trusting that it is true because God has said it's true, we, we extend ourselves Uh, And uh, we act in faith. And when we do that, when we trust in him, when we exercise faith, uh, 
He grows us. He, he sanctifies us. We gain an experiential knowledge uh, of all of the good things that are ours in Christ. So we have to ask, how are we at exercising faith in Christ today? In our circumstances, in our trials. Are we willing to, to trust in the promises of God, even if we can't see them, even if we can't touch them? Uh, are we willing to trust God and to have faith? And this is, this truth in verse 6, it, it echoes actually what we do in our growth groups with our journaling. We call it KFCA journaling. Again, nothing to do with Kentucky Fried Chicken. Uh, but KFCA journaling, what that means is, it's an acronym that stands for Knowledge, Faith, Character, and Action. And it's just a, a simple kind of way of doing some, some bullet journaling. And uh, we would just ask some simple questions of, of a passage. Of, hey, what does God want me to know here? An intellectual understanding of God's word. What does God want me to know about himself, about me, about uh, redemption, about the life of faith? What does he want me to know? And then that faith component, right? which again, which is on display here. We may know something intellectually, but do we genuinely believe it? And then are we, are we bringing that into our lives, which is the, the C, the character part of if we know something and we genuinely believe it, it should make an impact where? First and foremost, in our hearts, in our inner lives, the way that we think, what we desire, what we choose to do, what we pursue, and what are our goals in life. It, our character should be transformed when we truly know and believe something. And then if we've transformed internally in our character, outwardly, what should happen next? That we should begin to act upon that. That's the, the A, K-F-C-A. And when we begin to act upon what we know and believe, and we've been transformed inwardly, when we begin to act, what happens then? And this is the point of this passage. When we begin to act in faith, what do we gain? Now, to our intellectual knowledge, we uh, have an experiential knowledge. Oh, say, wow, I, I forgave that person as the Lord has commanded me, and you know what? It's been a blessing to our relationship. We, we no longer fight all the time. And I no longer bring up that card uh, and say, well, or the deck of cards and say, well, you've sinned against me. Let me play this one right now. Uh, no, but when uh, forgiveness means I throw away the deck of cards and I'm not bringing up those past hurts, those past sins, those past grievances, I'm no longer counting them against somebody, but I'm putting them all aside. And now if we have a conflict, let's just address this. We don't need to address all of the conflicts that we've ever had. That's difficult. It's difficult enough to solve one conflict, right? But let's just focus upon that. Confess, repent, ask for forgiveness, and and continue to move along. And you know, when we do that, it's amazing. There's relational harmony. And as a children's pastor, I would always explain uh, sin in this way to, to the children, that sin separates. It separates you from God. It separates you from others. And you have to, to understand and believe that. That, that sin separates, but forgiveness and reconciliation are only possible if we exercise faith in Christ. Again, if we uh, have been forgiven, we need to be willing to, to forgive others of the sins that they have committed against us. And when you are in a family, when you are in a marriage, when you are in a church, there's going to be conflict. There's going to be sin that takes place. As we uh, you know, have these growth groups and we, we grow closer to one another, it's a guarantee. I'm not a prophet, but I'm going to guarantee that sin is going to take place in those groups. So we have to be willing 
to exercise faith and trust in God's word and in his promises, even when we don't feel like it, even when we say, well, I don't know if I want to do that. We need to trust and act in faith rather than according to our feelings. And as we act in faith, God will continue to work in us and sanctify us. Intellectual knowledge now is accompanied by experiential knowledge. And that is what uh, Paul is commending or praying uh, for Philemon to experience. Those are the those are the first two observations that we can that we can make uh, that the, the praiseworthy character of love and faith uh, and the sanctifying power of exercising faith and then the third observation we can make it's found in in verse seven and it's going to be that the refreshing power of extending love the refreshing power of extending love look with me at verse seven it says for I have derived much joy and comfort from your love my brother. Because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. So Paul now explains the rationale behind his prayer. Uh, Paul experienced joy and encouragement. And that word encouragement is the same word that's used for comfort. He's experienced joy and comfort because of Philemon's love. Philemon's love has encouraged Paul and it has been a source of refreshment to others, right? And what he says, he says that that Paul has been encouraged because the hearts of the saints have been encouraged. They've been refreshed. And that word for for hearts is actually the the word for like your your inner guts, your bowels. Uh, hearts sounds a lot better, right? Uh, you refresh my bowels. It doesn't just doesn't have the same uh, the same ring to it as hey the, the hearts of the saints have been refreshed in you. And metaphorically, what that is saying is that the, the inner person, where all of your, your thoughts and emotions and decisions are made, that has been refreshed by Philemon's love. And referring to the saints, he's not, he's not referring to like different tiers of Christians. There's like, there's those who believe, and then there's the extreme green berets who are the saints. No, all believers are saints. Uh, we are all called and set apart by God, separated from the world and called to be his people who glorify him and live not for ourselves, but for him. And then Paul says, he uses this word refreshed, which is the idea of, uh, of to cause someone to gain relief from toil or to cause someone to rest. And this word is very important because it, it, it points to to actions that are that took place in the past, it's a unique word in the Greek or a unique tense. Something things that have taken place in the past have continuing, ongoing results all the way up into the present. To say hey, you have refreshed the saints and they continue to be refreshed because of your love for them, which is very commendable. Philemon has acted to bless others in the past and his actions continue to bear fruit in their lives. And this is the same word that Jesus uses in Matthew eleven twenty eight. It says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That is what Philemon has done for the saints, for those around him. Sounds like a, a pretty upstanding guy. Pretty, pretty amazing what Paul is saying here in this brief paragraph. But Now, most of us have experienced physical refreshment, Right? Uh, and uh, summer's coming, which means that there's an abundance of lawn work readily available uh, for each and every one of us, right? And uh, when you're out mowing the lawn or doing anything else out in the sun, what happens? 
Yeah, you sweat, you perspire. Uh, and what is it you greatly desire when you are out working in your yard? Something cold to drink, cooler temperatures, shade, or D, all of the above. So when you go inside and you go to that, that cold glass of water or that cold glass of lemonade, what noise do you make? It's just, it's so good. You add, that's physical refreshment. And it's just a little picture. We can think of uh, physical refreshment in the, in the context of, so what does spiritual refreshment look like? Now, we've experienced physical refreshment of just that, that cold glass of water on a hot day when we've been outside. What does spiritual refreshment look like? I would say the weight of sin being lifted through confession and repentance. Right? That, that refreshes your soul. Doesn't it refresh your soul to resolve conflict? For that, where there was once disharmony, now there is harmony and peace. Spiritual refreshment is also the hope of God's word overpowering feelings of despair and depression. And you are overwhelmed uh, by, by feelings and thoughts that are, that are fleeting, and then you become grounded in God's word and says, you know what? Let me, let me hold on to this. Let this be my anger. Let me trust in this rather than my, my random thoughts that take me every which way. That refreshes our souls because we find rest in Christ. That's exactly what he called us to do in Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. What about the, the comfort of fellowship in the middle of difficult trials? That's what refreshment to our souls and our hearts feels like. That When we're in the middle of that, that deep, dark trial and, and difficult experience that the Lord has brought to us. What does he want us to, how does he want us to walk through that? With the, the fellowship and the sharing of our faith with others. Hey, God's giving us an experiential knowledge of something and others are there to help us walk through that. Also the counsel of a faithful, wise and godly friend when an important decision needs to be made. Right, that is refreshing to the soul uh, when you can go to others for sound, godly counsel. How do we provide spiritual refreshment to others? Well, besides those ways, number one, by praying for others. By praying for them, by committing to pray for them. Uh, I, I would say that, so Philemon has been a blessing to Paul, but I would bet that Paul was also a, a blessing and a refreshment to Philemon. As Paul saying, hey, I'm constantly praying for you. Secondly, by providing for the needs of others. How do we tangibly demonstrate love? How do we uh, care for them? Hey, there's a family in need, or there's a family going through a difficult time. How do we go and be there for them and provide for them? And then how do we serve others with our time and with our energy? How do we go and just come alongside them and serve them in their time of need? And then by proclaiming the gospel. By proclaiming truth to, to believer and to unbeliever. The gospel is not just for unbelievers. Now, there is no greater refreshment of soul when someone believes the gospel and they, uh, their heart is transformed. God gives them new life in Christ. There's no greater refreshment than that. Amen? And that's what we want to be able to bring to others is that type of refreshment. But then just having a friend come alongside you uh, and, and be able to, to clearly bring you back to the gospel at, in times when you need it is also a great source of refreshment. The gospel is not something that we just believe once and then we're done with it. The gospel is something that we are co- continuously called to, right? The initial call of the gospel is to do what? To turn from your sin and to turn to Christ in faith. What's the continual call of the gospel? For us to turn from our sin and to continue to turn to Christ in faith uh, and to apply the gospel to our lives at all times. Extending love to others has an amazing power to refresh. 
And some of you who are here this morning, you may need some refreshing. You, you may be some who, who are in desperate need of others to come alongside and bring refreshment to your heart. God uses his word, his spirit, and his people to do that. And I want to say that we, we want to be here for you. We want to bring spiritual refreshment to you. Others of you uh, have never brought spiritual refreshment to anyone. Say, I don't know how to do that. I've, I've never done that before. Uh, and what we see here in this, in this passage is we, we also need to be thinking through how can we refresh others. There's some who need to be refreshed and some who need to do the refreshing. So what do we need to do? We need to come together. And that sometimes in our, in our growth groups, because that's usually where that re- spiritual refreshment will take place, sometimes both happen on the same night to us. Sometimes we can be a refreshment to others and we are refreshed by others. We share what we are going through and how we're trying to walk in faith through that trial. And that's an, uh, a refreshment to this person over here. And then they share what they're going through. And you're like, wow, that helps and encourages me. Uh, that is that is the desire of uh, or our goal in our growth groups, to be able to come together to encourage one another, to bring spiritual refreshment to the hearts of the saints at this church. But we need to be able to to do that. We, we want to be the, uh, you could say that the, our growth groups are the spiritual lemonade stand of our church. Uh, that's what we want to do. We want to bring uh, refreshment to one another in those groups, to grow in in fellowship, to grow in faith, and to act in love for one another. And Paul praises Philemon for his faith and love in this paragraph. That's what we've seen this morning. Uh, and His words here are going to be the foundation of his appeal later on in the letter. He's he's gently reminding Philemon to act in love towards Onesimus, a love that is to be rooted in his faith in Christ. But Paul also works in several other words in this paragraph and concepts that are going to to appear later on in the letter. This is kind of the fun part. If you look with me, uh, does Philemon fit on a single page in your Bibles? If you look at it, this is great to be able to, to zoom out uh, and look at an entire book in the Bible. See, Paul's going to introduce things here, and this is the only letter that he does this. He, 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 he's going to introduce all of these concepts that he's going to, to bring back in and call Philemon to later. He says, Philemon, you've been doing great at all of these things. Now continue to do them. So in... Uh, He's going to refer to love at the beginning, and that's going to be the underlying theme of the entire letter. But then in verse 6, he mentions this idea of fellowship, this idea of partnership, and it's going to come back into play. And it's it's not as clear in our English versions, but verse 6, he uses this word koinonia for the sharing. of the sharing. And then in verse 17, he says, if you consider me your partner, it's the same word. So if we have something in common, if we have something to share then receive Onesimus back. Then he also uses this idea and this concept of the the good things. He uses it in verse 6, right? He prays that Philemon would come to a knowledge of every good thing in Christ. And then look at verse 12. I'm sorry, verse 14. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. So, hey, I want you to experience every good thing and then... Philemon, I'm not going to force you to do this, but I want you to be to be one who exercises this goodness out of your own willingness, out of your own heart. And then he uses the word heart 
three times in this letter. Paul only uses this word. We talk about the, the, the inward parts, the, the bowels. He uses it eight times in all of his letters total, and three of them are in this letter that fits on a single page. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a big theme. He uses it in verse 7, as we saw, that Philemon has refreshed the hearts of the saints. And then Paul brings it back up in verse 12. He says, I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. So saying, hey, you've refreshed the hearts of the saints. Now I'm sending you my heart, and which is Onesimus. And then it's going to come back into play in verse 20. And verse 20 is also going to bring in another word that's repeated. Look at me. Verse 20 says, yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. He says, refresh my heart in Christ. What do we know Philemon's already done? He's already been a source of refreshment to others. Now Paul's saying, hey, refresh me. Refresh my heart. Forgive and receive back Onesimus. These are the, the, the overarching themes of the letter. And what Paul is saying here, without saying it, is in essence, continue doing what you're already doing. You're already exhibiting faith and love, and that's going to be the key to you forgiving and receiving back Onesimus, who sinned against you and then ran away. Keep doing what you are already doing. Love and faith are the pillars that strengthen us and hold us up so that we can forgive others. If we don't have them, if they aren't present in our life, we're not going to be able to forgive others. But as Paul writes this letter, he says, Hey, Philemon, you already have the pillars there. So you're going to be able to do this. right? Verse 21, Paul says, Confident of your obedience. Right? Hey, He knows how Philemon is going to respond. But he, he's focusing on this is why you are going to be able to do this. Our faith in Christ reminds us of our own sinfulness and the greatness of God's forgiveness. God has forgiven us all infinitely more than we will ever need to forgive anybody else for. And we need to keep that in mind. So we are commanded to forgive others as we have been forgiven. If you have faith in Christ, you will also be, uh, you will also have a love for others. And a love for others comes with that transformed heart. You believe in Christ, God takes out the old uh, heart of stone and brings in a heart of flesh. He says, all right, now that heart of flesh is going to have a love for God and a love for others. And that's going to be a natural result. But we still, as I, as I said earlier, we still might selfishly want to, to wield unforgiveness as a weapon in our relationships. And as I, as I quoted from, from Paul Tripp earlier, those five, those five dark benefits of being, or of unforgiveness. But Paul, Paul Tripp also goes on to say this. So even though that unforgiveness has those benefits, he says it seems almost too obvious to say, but forgiveness is a much better way. The grace of our salvation is the ultimate argument for this truth. Forgiveness is the only way to live in an intimate, long-term relationship with another sinner. Forgiveness is the only way to negotiate through the weakness and failure that daily mark your relationships. It is the only way to deal with hurt and disappointment. Forgiveness is the only way to have hope and confidence restored. It is the only way to protect your love and reinforce the unity that you have built Forgiveness is the only way not to be kidnapped by the past. It is the only way to give your relationships the blessing of fresh starts and new beginnings. In, the, in this letter, in this paragraph, Paul is telling Philemon, hey, 
Forgiveness is the path you must walk. And this is the, the same command. This is the same big idea that we need to walk away from this from. That forgiveness is the path that we need to walk. But it's never going to happen if we don't have love for others and if we're not rooted and grounded in faith in Christ. We have to understand that. And may the pillar, those two pillars support and hold up our forgiveness of others. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we just come to you so amazed by your forgiveness of us. Lord, you have promised that all who look to you in faith will be forgiven. All who believe that Jesus Christ is your Son, crucified for us, resurrected for us, now ascended to heaven and praying for us. Lord, if we believe these things, we have forgiveness. You have taken our sins and you have cast them as far as the east is from the west. You choose to no longer remember them. And Lord, help us to do the same. Help us to grow in our love for others. Help us to grow in our willingness to forgive as we have been forgiven by you. Lord, help us in those moments where our flesh battles against our mind, where we know what we need to do, but we seem to to refuse to do it. Lord, remind us of how much we have been forgiven in Christ. Remind us how great our sin was against you and how little other sin is against us. And then help us to be willing to forgive. Help us to be willing to love others. And then, Lord, may you continue to grow our faith. May you continue to sanctify us through your people, through your word, through your spirit. And Lord, may we rejoice when you give us those opportunities to live out our faith. Those moments when we have to trust you. When trials come and we have to to trust in invisible promises that we can't touch, we can't see. But we simply have to step out in faith based upon what you have told us is true and what is real. Lord, increase our faith in those moments and then give us an experiential knowledge that continues to grow and sanctify us. And then, Lord, may you use us to bring peace to our homes, to our church, to our community. May we be instruments of reconciliation. May we be ambassadors for Christ. And as we do that, may we bring much glory, honor, and praise to the one who has made peace with us, not because we deserved it, but because of your great love toward us in Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.